Father God, I ask for clarity tonight as we break down really one of the most important aspects of your story of history. May it become clear to us. May we see the big picture in the midst of it. In your son's name. Amen. We began our discussion um, about seeing 2020 with the idea that there is actual truth. That truth actually exists. Then that truth is reflected in reality, not what we make reality to be. We also discovered that people can be wrong. And that a great number of people probably are. It's not because we're bigoted or it's not because we hate them, but it's just simple math. And people being wrong doesn't mean we hate them. If I believe something that is wrong, I hope somebody at some point corrects me so I can start living in reality a way that is right. That you would assume would be most loving. We also discussed how every worldview presents a story to the world. For the Christian, that story is creation, fall, redemption, and glorification. And it's found in kind of the universal story, which is the three-act um, play. Um, act one is introduction of characters and introduction of the problem. Act two is them trying to figure out how to solve the problem. Up to act three, which is the climax and the outcome of what happens. Last week, we focused on that reality, that in that reality, God is the main character of the story. You're not. Sorry. Remember Nicholas Copernicus? The world doesn't revolve around you. We revolve around the sun. So God is, is not our director. He's not our co-star. God himself is the star of the show. He is the main character in the story. And that is important when you are telling the Christian story. If you don't know who the main character is, you get sucked into a side plot real quick. You need to know whom the story is following. Today we're still in Act 1. Okay? And... So if we're introducing the characters in the story, which is one of the points of Act 1, we have to answer the question from your first fill-in-the-blank, which is this. What is our place in the story? What is our place in the story? Where do I fit in? Does my life have purpose Does anyone care about me? These are all questions that every person on the planet has asked at some point in their life. And they are questions that the Christian story has answers to. Last week we started in Genesis 1. Since it's still the first act of the play, we're still there. I'm going to summarize it as best I can. Genesis 1 and and 2, let me just... Give you this. In the beginning, remember, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water, face of the waters. Notice there is a reference to the Spirit, the Spirit of God. God speaks, and God creates. God is a creator God who does not, who does not need matter to create like a carpenter. He speaks it. And every day, good things were created. As the main character was able to create something spectacular, he said this thing in verse 26 and 27. He said this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I want you to notice in this section of scripture, he says this, let us. Well, we know from the Old Testament that God is one. That's abundantly clear. Any Jew will tell you that today. And any Muslim will tell you that today too, that God is one. But even here, it says, let us. It is an aspect of God that we did not cover last week, and maybe I'll spend a week on it in the future. But this is your next fill in the blank. The Trinitarian nature of God is part of who He is. The Trinitarian nature of God is part of who He is. It is not a side effect. It is not of minimal importance. From the beginning, there is unity in the persons of the Trinity. What has now been revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinitarian God was perfect. It still is. The Trinitarian God is in community. The Trinitarian God is satisfied. Yet, for some reason, the Trinitarian God, in unity, made the decision to create in their image and give that creation purpose. We were designed to be in community. To be in common unity with God to have the same agenda to have the same aim to be like him and your next fill in the blank and this prepositional phrase is throughout scripture to be with him to be with him so God made a covenant with man covenant with man. Now we use this phrase a lot, especially in reform circles, especially when we talk about the Christian story. So I want you to answer this. This is where you talk back. What is a covenant? Catechism answer. Sure. Give me the catechism answer, Mr. Westminster. Uh, An agreement. An agreement? Two, Two or more persons. Very good. Anyone else want to kind of give further, parse out that? It's a place at Lookout Mountain. It's a place at Lookout Mountain. Yeah, it's college. Plug for Covenant College. We're not sponsoring. Not sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> what else is a covenant? A promise. You're like the wordsmith in the group. You realize you're. You're becoming this. Um, but you're right. It is a promise. Because it's, it's, it's much more than an agreement, right? It's like the next level. Like there's an agreement, a contract, a promise. It really is. Kind of, a covenant is the fulfillment of it, right? A covenant is. I, it's literally a contract between two or more people. But really it's a promise between two or more people. From the beginning. From the very beginning. There was a contract made. Between God and mankind. It was known as the covenant of works. It's stated in Genesis 2. Let me give it to you. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. Hence the covenant of works. See where it comes from? To work the garden and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat 
of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Look, the agreement's pretty simple. Like, we don't need the secret knowledge of the Old Testament to like figure out the agreement here, right? Agreement's simple. Work the garden. Enjoy everything that I've given you but this one tree. If you eat it, you'll die. That's the contract, right? The covenant is made. Bam. I'll do it, God. Now, why did God put a tree in the garden that they couldn't eat? Why did God put a tree in the garden that they couldn't eat? I've heard this question before. I've actually heard this question probably a dozen times in my life before. It deserves a response, if even a trite one. And it was kind of answered last week. First, it's his story, not yours. If he wants to put the tree in the ground and say, don't eat it, he can do that. He is God. Is he doing anything wrong? Nope. If I put a tree in my backyard and I say, Steve, don't climb the tree. Am I being a sinful man? A sinful deity of my yard? To say, I put a tree back there. You're not to touch it. Nope. Well, he's God. He's not you. What if he knew they're going to eat it? Again, is he still doing anything wrong? If anything, he's given Adam and Eve the freedom of choice. You see, Adam and Eve were free in the garden to do as they chose. God is a free creature. Newsflash. And so he created creatures that were free too. So he freely put the tree in the garden. And we freely chose to disobey and break the covenant. And the covenant was made between Adam and his offspring. Covenant between was made with Adam and his offspring. So if Adam, as the federal head of mankind, fell or failed in the covenant, all would suffer the consequences. All would suffer from the fall. People hate this idea. I hate this idea. Why? I grew up in America. Land of the free, home of the brave, and the fried chicken. Right? This is, we are built on the land of the individual. It's all about individual freedoms. It's all about me and what I can get to do. So this is how the objection goes. Why would God punish me for something someone else did? Why would God punish me for something someone else did? Okay, again, remember, you are in a country that the liberty of the individual is the essence of America. You need to be aware of something, and it's your next fill in the blank. And if you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to hear this. Nothing you do 
is in a vacuum. Nothing you do is in a vacuum. I'll repeat it a third time, just in case you missed it. Nothing you do is in a vacuum. That's your next fill in the blank. Everything you do has consequences for another. Everything you do has consequences for another. Everything you do has consequences for another. If you walk out of here, you go home and you're on the car, car with your mom, you're in the car with your mom or dad, and they say, what did you learn tonight? I want you to say this. Nothing I do is in a vacuum and everything I do has consequences for another. Why? From the porn you pull up on the internet at home, to the choice you make to isolate yourself from others, to posting a selfie on Instagram, to the purchases you make or don't make, your choices to do and not do have ripple effects to other people on the planet, whether you want to believe it or not. Everything you do affects someone else in some way. Everything you don't do affects someone else in some way. And most of the time, especially in America, we try to free ourselves from this thinking that the idea that our choices, we want our choices to have no consequences, right? We say this phrase a lot. It happens in American society. I'm not hurting anybody. Your next fill in the blank. You are either building or breaking in this world. You are not a passive observer. You are either building or breaking in this world. You are not a passive observer. If you are trying to play mental gymnastics in your head right now and get around this, stop it and surrender. You're not. In that sense, think about it. People make covenants or agreements or promises with each other all the time. Our system of government is one, both local and national, all the way to the UN. And we have unspoken covenants with classmates, with siblings, and with parents. So with that classmate at school, fine, I'll let you look at my homework as long as you don't be a jerk to me, right? With our parents, I mean with our siblings. If you tell mom or dad, I will do this to you. Social covenant. Social covenant we have with your parents. Don't bring up that one subject. And I won't bring up that one subject. And then there's no argument. Social covenants we have with our parents. We are... We have covenants everywhere. Fact is, it's your next fill in the blank. Your life is one big covenant. Your whole life is one big covenant. We are covenant creatures. You can hate it. You can be frustrated with it. 
You can suppress it, but you cannot live without it. You are not in a vacuum. And neither was Adam and Eve. They sinned against God by by not believing His Word and following their emotions, their desires. Remember how we talked about how our emotions lead us? How we want things to be true, even if we're not... We want to make reality about us, right? Eve is doing it in Genesis 3. This is what she does in Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good and that it was a delight... See the emotion to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired again, the emotional desire to make one wise. She took the fruit and ate and mankind fell. Earth would suffer the consequences and billions of people would face death moving forward. This is it's the most basic language, right? The fall sucks. It it sucks. Any of you that have ever been in a deathbed, or a funeral, or heck, I've had to put your dog down, right? The fall sucks. And if the covenant of works was all that God left us, he would be perfectly just in doing so. Remember, he's justice himself. But God is a God of both justice and love. Immediately after Adam and Eve broke the covenant of works. This is Genesis 15. It's like a couple verses later. He institutes the covenant of grace. This is what he says. God tells Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He, meaning the Savior, Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The Westminster of Faith gives us clarity concerning the movement from the covenant of grace here. It says this, God first made the covenant, God, sorry, God first covenant made with man was the covenant of works, wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to... And in him to his posterity upon the condition of perfect and personal obedience. Man, by his fall, having made himself incapable of life by that covenant, the Lord was pleased to make a second, commonly called the covenant of grace, wherein God freely offers unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ, requiring of them faith in him that they may be saved. And promising to give unto all those that are ordained unto eternal life his Holy Spirit to make them willing and able to believe. God has made a new covenant with mankind, the covenant of grace, a covenant that he fulfills, not one that is dependent on our obedience like the covenant of works, but is dependent on the work of Christ. And as we will see in the coming weeks, the covenant of grace was in place in the Old Testament. It was in place in the Old Testament. And it climaxed in the new as Christ fulfilled it. But all the sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed to the covenant of grace in the new. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed to the covenant of grace in the new. This is your last fill in the blank. The story of reality is all about covenant. It's as important 
to our story. It says it's important to our story as the force is to Star Wars. As notes are to a symphony. In the sense that without those things, we don't no longer have the other. For you to understand the Christian story, covenant has to be included in it. That we are covenant creatures. That we have a covenant God who was literally in covenant with himself in the persons of the, in persons of the Trinity. And extended that covenant to us. And since we could not fulfill it, fulfilled the covenant in himself by taking on our, by taking on our sins. So that we could have a right relationship with him. We are the affection of God. That is our role in the story. You are the beloved. You are the bride. He wants us to be with him. And he will send his son Jesus seeking us out in covenant relationship. He has sent Christ. And now the Holy Spirit calls us to himself to be in that covenant relationship.